Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. Conversations exploring network transformation through interviews with industry experts. Welcome to ChipChat Network Insights. We're coming to you from the SDN NFV World Congress in The Hague. And I am very pleased to be joined by Peter Curta, Head of Cloud Core Solution Design at Nokia. Welcome, Peter. Good morning. Thank you very much. So, Peter, it's been a while since Nokia has been on uh, ChipChat Network Insights. Why don't you just give us um, a little bit of background on Nokia's focus on network transformation and your role at the company? Yeah. Thank you. So what we are doing at Nokia, uh, we believe uh, transforming the network is not only uh, improving uh, the products themselves, the individual components, but we believe we need to create solutions uh, which are by nature, by the, by the design, by the architecture uh, being cloud native. So one thing that we are doing is, is uh, of course, each and every network element, we are changing the architecture to fit better uh, to a cloud environment. But uh, on top of that, we also make changes on the network architecture end-to-end, so they are fitting uh, better into, into a native cloud. Over the last few years, the, the topics at this conference in particular have evolved as the technology that is driving virtualized networking has evolved. And there's been a lot of talk about um, cloud-native integration into the network. Can you talk about what that means and why that's important? Yeah, exactly. So, so uh, operators are are looking for uh, for automation. Operators are looking for uh, they understand the journey how it goes from virtualization to the cloud, from cloud co- to decomposed uh, architecture. Mm-hmm. So they they fully understand that they they see the 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 benefits of this one. So they see all the all the need. I'm just coming from the Deutsche Telekom keynote when uh, when uh, uh, the CTO of German and, uh, Deutsche Telekom was talking about uh, how much they want to do uh, zero touch uh, network operations mm-hmm. and. Uh, all these benefits are only working if we are really virtualizing all the network elements, decomposing all the network elements into microservices, and uh, that provides us the flexibility uh, so we can automate uh, the bits and pieces. And like I said, on top of that, that is for the individual products, on the top of that, if we do changes on the network level architecture, uh, then that's uh, introducing additional uh, benefits in the automation and 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 simplifying the architecture of the individual components. What I'm talking about is uh, our shared data layer uh, uh, concept, where what we are doing we are decoupling the states and the data from the applications into uh, a new layer in the cloud, which is a kind of data layer, uh, and uh, and with that uh, the applications, the VNFs, become mm-hmm. stateless. They are become dataless and uh, that's simplifying their architecture a lot. So beside the decomposing, removing the load balancers, 
uh, and all the other uh, components which are not uh, the business logic, uh, we are also saying that, okay, let's make them all dataless and stateless and store those data and state information into a layer in the cloud, which is the, which would be the shared data layer. Mm -hmm. And you only make uh, this shared data layer robust and, and high-performing, while the other components uh, can be more simple. Now, there's a tremendous amount of industry effort around um, cloud-native software infrastructure and uh, delivery of containerized solutions. How do those apply to carrier-grade networks? And are those solutions robust enough to address the reliability requirements for carriers? Absolutely. We, I mean, we, made, we need to make them uh, robust mm -hmm. enough. So um, we started with virtualization. So we virtualized our products, uh, put them into, into virtual machines. Then we went to, went to the cloud to introduce the automation uh, that the cloud has to offer. And the next step of this evolution is start using containers. Mm -hmm. Containers are helping us to, to reuse uh, uh, software functionalities and just use them as a, as a service. So what we do, we are started decomposing our uh, virtual machine or the software in our virtual machines, put them into containers, and, and every container would provide us a network service. And uh, in, in this journey, we are breaking up our uh, uh, VNFs into smaller and smaller services and just use those services in the network. So it means that the VNFs really just remain the very core business logic while, uh, and, and that is provided just as a service. And, uh, and uh, this, let's say, a strict uh, barrier uh, between this and that uh, VNF start getting kind of blurring because it's just, you know, uh, we are breaking it up to, to network services, mm -hmm. to smaller network services. So there, this, this, this borderline between, I don't know, IMS and TAS, uh, become a little bit blurry because it's just, you know, a lot of uh, small network services. When you look at um, these capabilities, and you, you alluded to Deutsche Telekom's desire for a zero-touch network, right. where do you think the operators are holistically um, with their um, desire to deploy these advanced features and networks? And how quickly do you think the industry is moving in this space? Yeah, this is this is not small work. So everybody understand that uh, both on the operator side and on the vendor side that this is a big change. Mm -hmm. You need to you need to change the architecture of the products. You need to change the architecture of the network. And uh, implementing uh, such a change that takes a few years and deploying uh, such a such a network uh, into into a production life that's that's also uh, uh, let's say it's taking some time. And it's not only the, the technical challenge that we have to deal with, but it's changing all the processes and, and all the procurement, uh, how, the, how the operators are doing uh, procurement. So it's, it's uh, because, because all these processes and, and, uh, and the understanding of the people uh, in the how to operate such a network, how to, how to uh, you know, order a new service in this network is, is changing. Uh, it, it has to be, it's a transformation of the, of the operator. It's, it was a transformation on the vendor side when we started changing the architecture. People started thinking differently, so they couldn't just, you know, think on their own product. They have to start thinking on network level. And the uh, same thing has to happen on the operator side. So people cannot ca anymore just uh, think about their own 
kind of small area, they have to start thinking on the network level because now you will have an infrastructure which is running under the whole network. You will have uh, you will have the applications on the top of that. You are have this having this uh, zero touch uh, operation, which is again network wise. So so. Uh, it doesn't work anymore. Like, okay, I am the IMS guy. I take care only about the IMS. You have to think about Volta end to end. Now, Nokia obviously is a major supplier of network infrastructure around the world. Tell me how you're embedding this technology into the solutions that you're delivering to the market. And um, is there any other play in terms of industry standard frameworks that you're delivering these solutions for? Yeah. So, what we are doing, uh, I'm coming from the R&D side uh, of Nokia, what we are doing, we are creating guidelines, we are creating blueprints uh, for the solutions. And uh, we are mandating each and every component in the solution to follow those guidelines. So this is how we are making sure that end-to-end uh, -end it will work and, and it will work for the first mm -hmm. time. So, and, uh, and many of those initiatives uh, to make it work also, also with components from third parties, uh, those uh, where, where we need to interwork with them, we either use open interfaces or we are standardizing our solutions. So I talked earlier about the shared data layer. For example, that one area where we are going to the Etsy uh, standardization bodies and, and, and standardizing the way uh, we believe this layer should be created. In other places, we are just uh, wherever we can uh, and, and open interfaces or open uh, components are available then we are just using those. Now, I also know that you guys are partners with Intel and are part of the Network Builders Program. Tell me about that collaboration and how that aids in this broader vision. Right. Uh, well, first of all, we are having uh, an infrastructure um, uh, arm, so it's part of our portfolio, uh, servers uh, and networks, and, and, and there uh, we, are, we are in close cooperation with, with Intel, uh, especially working on our OCP mm -hmm. uh, offering. Uh, that's for the for the hardware piece and for the software piece uh, we are on uh, we are working together on the container so so container is still uh, in the taco at least uh, a new uh, area to 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 apply in the in the in the products and uh, many times we are having uh, requirements uh, let's say toward uh, these this platform like services uh, with regard latencies or or throughput and those are areas uh, where we are working together uh, with Intel, for example, on container networking, uh, or or how to test, uh, for example, a, a containerized system uh, where where uh, the software is fully decoupled from the from the hardware and the infrastructure uh, with virtual machines, and on top of that, with containers. Uh, this is an area uh, where we work with Intel to to make sure that the systems are are robust and uh, capable of delivering the usual five nine requirements mm -hmm. that we have. Peter, when you uh, talk about this, I'm sure we've sp uh, sparked some interest in our listeners to find out more about the Nokia solutions. One final question for you before you go. Where can folks find out more information about the solutions Nokia is delivering in this space? Yeah, go to Nokia.com and, and under that uh, to the cloud core uh, area and uh, you will find contacts and additional information there. Thank you so much for being on the program today. It was a real delight. It was an honor for me. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from the SDN NFV World Congress in The Hague. And I'm joined by Kari Hootenen, Managing Director at Radiator Software. Welcome. Thank you, Alison. So uh, I would love to just start, if you could just introduce Radiator and um, the specific focus um, on network innovation that the company is aimed for. All right, so um, Radiator Software is actually a company group. It consists of this Finnish internet engineering company, Arcret, mm-hmm. and it uh, consists also about this Australian uh, company, Open System Consultants, which is the original manufacturer of the Radiator Radius Server Software. Now tell me a little bit about Radio Server Software. Okay, the uh, radiator uh, radio server software, it has been around since 1997, so it was started so that it uh, was built uh, according to needs of Australian ISPs at the time, and the whole software grew grew from that on in that way that when operators wanted features, uh, they were integrated into radiator software. And nowadays, it's m- much, much more than just a radio server software. It can do diameter, it can do TACAX, it can do uh, SIM authentication, GPA, PSF, uh, a lot of uh, more three-letter and four-letter acronyms mm-hmm. from the 3GPP side. But it's much more now. And uh, what we are now focusing is that uh, this year we released a radiator VNF. And this is the uh, version of radiator that is uh, NF, it's a virtual AAA for NFE-compatible infrastructures. Now, obviously, um, this introduces the cloudification of these core features to the network. Why is that so critical as we're looking at uh, operators' deployment of virtualized and now cloud-native infrastructure? Well, it uh, actually started that we uh, we recognized that we need to add more performance to the radiator. And uh, we started from there that, okay, we, uh, we needed uh, a way to scale it better. And then we learned about this uh, industry tendency to go, go towards NFV and this kind of cloudification of the services. Mm-hmm. So we actually did so that we we uh, looked at the NFE concept, we looked at the interfaces, architecture, stuff like that, and we uh, started from this kind of a, from a clean slate to design the new radiator VNF version mm-hmm. there. So uh, we uh, actually did it so that, okay, we uh, checked that where we should use uh, radiator, where we should put load balancers, should we build a communication uh, uh, communication messaging queue for the radiator and so on. And we kind of uh, designed the whole radiator VNF from the ground up to be this kind of a, a real cloud solution. Mm-hmm. Now, what has the response been in the industry since you've delivered the VNF solution? Uh, it, there, there has been significant interest from the uh, operators. And uh, in, for example, in proof of concept, uh, this kind of a... Uh, proof of concept evaluations into RF, RF for the RFQs and so on. We have been kind of uh, marked very with high, high scores there on the technical th- and also from, from the business side. So it seems that uh, our customers especially like the kind of flexibility and the uh, real cloud nature of the radiator VNF. 
Now, I know that Radiator Software is also a collaborator within the Intel Network Builders community. Tell me about why that's important in the delivery of solutions to network operators. Uh, well, um, of course, the uh, one important thing is the networking with the, inter inter with the Intel uh, Network Builders Summits and so on. Mm -hmm. But in the, uh, in, in the Intel Network uh, Builders Summits, the also the other thing is that we get ideas ideas from the presentations and uh, also we get this kind of a real operator feedback for example uh, yesterday was the intel networks uh, builder summit and there uh, was uh, really good presentations from the deutsche telecom and i think it was a telecom austria mm -hmm. And as well as uh, then was this Intel presentation from uh, Dana uh, Nehama, I mm -hmm. think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the thing was that, uh, for example, these operator presentations were important for us in the sense that we can get more feedback what the operators really want. Mm -hmm. And that's important information for our R&D and uh, sales and marketing side. And uh, then from the uh, Intel presentation, we got that uh, we had been thinking already using containers mm -hmm. instead of virtual machines with our solution. Right. And uh, now it seems that uh, Intel had contributed to this kind of open source projects and so on. That kind of features that we need, for example, the support for several uh, network interfaces and stuff like that. So that's yeah. what we are kind of getting from all of this. Yeah, it seems like if there's a theme for this conference uh, thus far this week, it's uh, buzz around cloud native and containerization of the network. So it's interesting that that was something that resonated with you from that Network Builder Summit as well. Um, what is next for Radiator Software in terms of, you know, you've got great POCs results, obviously lots of industry collaborations. What's next? Uh, well, we are obviously continuing uh, make, making new releases of Radiator VNF and uh, gradually introducing uh, new features in there. And uh, now that we see that, okay, the container technology seems quite uh, ready, we are looking, very, uh, looking also into that, that how we can integrate that with the Radiator uh, VNF releases. Mm -hmm. that's, but that's one thing. And the other thing is that uh, we have uh, kind of not noticed the uh, tendency to go to the microservices, containers, NFE and stuff like that. So we are actively developing also this kind of uh, APIs, uh, APIs and user interfaces around our radiator products that can be then uh, be used to kind of uh, build a new kind of uh, AAA services. If you were going to be um, talking to an operator who might be listening online, what would you think is the next step in terms of a potential POC or evaluation? Well, uh, we are uh, we don't have a stand here in mm -hmm. the in the conference, but uh, we have uh, this kind of uh, our. Uh, kind of leading NFE integrator, CAPS Carrier Communications, which is also Internet Work Builders partner. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have a stand here at our, um, they're, they're in the lobby, lobby. So if you are interested in, for example, in radiator, radiator VNF, or what uh, our integrator can do for operator, how they can integrate even more NFE products than just virtual AAA, that's the kind of place to be. And where can folks find you uh, if they're engaging online? Oh, uh, yeah, we, ha we have, a, of course, our own web website, and you can get there by going to radiatorsoftware.com. 
fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the program today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from the SDN NFV World Congress in The Hague, and I am delighted to be joined by Lynn Comp, General Manager of Network Cloud and Industry Enabling in Intel. Welcome. Welcome Hi, back. Allison. Thank you. It's great to be back. So uh, it's been a while since you've been on the show. Tell me about um, this moment in time in terms of the, the network transformation and what is on the top of your mind in terms of where Intel and the industry is in transforming networks to the vision that we've been talking about for the last few years. Well, there's a couple interesting trends that have been accelerating. One of them is cloud everywhere. Mm-hmm. So we're really seeing a convergence of the network and the cloud. And SDN and NFV make that possible. But it's even going further than that. It's cloud at the edge, cloud breaking out of the hyperscale data centers, being put closer to the customers. So that's one one transformation that we're seeing. And so you're hearing a lot about cloud native or what does that mean? How do we use RESTful interfaces and APIs? And then the next trend that's really been fascinating to watch over the last year is how 5G is accelerating the network transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, with the three different usage models that are in 5G, most of the operators are looking at it thinking, I cannot efficiently operate a network with those kinds of varying configurations and demands unless I can automate the operations of the network. And that starts with NFV and SDN, so they're accelerating that. It seems to me that the agility required for the delivery of 5G services um, requires an, an underlying platform of virtualization or you're not going to deliver the full value of 5G. That's exactly correct. What you saw in the prior generations of wireless technology is an almost laser-like focus on the smartphone, mm-hmm. being able to deliver voice and being able to deliver better coverage, better bandwidth, and then with LTE, being able to deliver data because of the trend with smartphones but it's all been focused on the phone. And when you look at 5G, you have characteristics that are being designed in, supported by things like network slicing that allow you to do massive machine-to-machine communications or the very low-latency real-time communications that are necessary for autonomous driving. Those are so different in terms of how the network behaves. You have to be able to real-time slice up the network to match the needs that are being demanded at the moment. So there's just no possible way to do that if you're operating it manually. You just have to be able to very quickly do a lot of what has been in our software-defined infrastructure Mm -hmm. and automated in other infrastructures. They're going to have to bring that into the network, or else they're going to have it be very expensive to operate, or they're not going to be able to take advantage of all of the use cases. Now, I'm glad you brought up the edge, because this is a topic I wanted to talk to you about. there seems to be a evolution of what we mean by edge computing. Uh, I've heard of the mobile edge, the network edge, the you know, the IoT edge. There's all sorts of edges going on. Um, tell me about Intel's view here, and what is it that is driving the desire for edge compute 
and, and really breaking the bounds of the data center. So edge is a term that means a lot of different locations. That's what mm -hmm. you'll find. And so for a lot of the operators, they would say the network edge is very often, they'll refer to central offices mm -hmm. or sometimes regional data centers. Sometimes they're combined. And then occasionally you'll also see them talking about the enterprise edge, which is right up to where the customers are. And then in the wireless case, it could be access. So radio access, the base station, and the support network behind that. So edge means lots of different things. What it really means is not the core network, or in the case of a cloud service provider or an enterprise, edge to them is more like the web tier, for mm -hmm. example, or it would be the edge of what they control. So that's, I think, the best way to think of it, because edge, unless there's a qualifier with it, it means a lot of different things. Now let's apply data and the cloudification of compute to the edge and talk about what's driving folks to consider what happens where. What's happening to, to uh, drive this level of focus on the edge? So let me just give you one example. Autonomous driving, we talk about it a lot. Makes some people excited, makes others uncomfortable. But uh, for you to have driver suggestions, you really don't need to have the lowest possible latency because the driver is still in command controlling that vehicle. To go fully autonomous, you do need to have something like a two millisecond round trip. And that is only possible at a very close proximity to that vehicle. So base stations would be a great example because many of the network operators for the wireless builds outs have ended up populating a really good coverage zone wherever mm -hmm. commuters happen to be. So you can get that two millisecond round trip when you're out on their edge. Now, when you're talking about a cloud service provider, their edge is not going to be right up at that right of way in those commuter zones, unless, of course, they're going to be co-load wherever the comm service provider happens to have the right of way. So what you're talking about is very, very low latencies to make immediate decisions about whether or not something has to change in the vehicle based on the traffic patterns or something that happened on the road. So that's a two millisecond for fully autonomous, 10 millisecond for driver suggestions. And ultimately, that's based on the latency required in the applications. And if we uh, apply that across the myriad applications that are being tapped Correct. from the network, you get a picture of exactly. why the edge. Yeah, and a lot of people, it's funny, they will ask comms people, well, why can't we just increase the bandwidth? And with communications, at some point you run up against basic physics. Mm -hmm. Latency and distance are just a relationship that never go away. So that's why you also need to be close to the user, is because the smaller the distance, the lower the latency. And I would assume that some things, aggregation of data around traffic patterns, those are the things that are going it, to, it's worth taking that extra latency to do the advanced analytics. Right, exactly. Interesting. Now, Intel has been making a tremendous amount of progress in delivering solutions that um, have incredible capabilities to drive this network transformation that we've been talking about. Now, next uh, focus for me is asking you about the introduction of select solutions and why Intel made the role, the excuse me, the move into delivering select solutions for the network. Well, it's very interesting because what we were talking about today in the SDN NFE World Congress in the keynote I did was our experiences through network builders doing performance characterization 
to really help operators understand the TCO differences between the legacy and the new. And what we learned were two things. And one is there's no standard benchmarking, mm -hmm. which makes it very difficult to do apples to apples comparisons. The other thing that we learned is that at the NFBI platform layer, it seems to always be a version issue between what version of DPDK or what version of firmware or what modern drivers or which OS kernel version is being used that would always come out as one of the root causes for characterization anomalies where the performance wasn't what we expected. So what we announced today is the NFVI select solution for Red Hat Enterprise Linux. And mm -hmm. we've, we have uh, three OEMs that are announcing with us, HPE, Lenovo, and Quanta. Um, and, and the thing that's really interesting about that is it, it's not the ultimate answer to the performance issues, but it gives the ecosystem a stable base. Mm -hmm. And we have the fast track development kit for developers that want to just get their software running on that stable software image. We also have for accelerating deployments, that image is being pre-integrated by the hardware vendors. So the service providers, they know that it has been tested, it's had weekly and daily regression tests, really understanding all of the different factors that go into what makes good performance in that image. So it gives some stable base based on that performance learning that we had second thing that we talked about was putting the network standard benchmarks and some VNF examples into OPNFV in the Euphrates release that will be coming up because we also want to help solve that problem of there's no standard unit of measure, right. no common way to compare performance. And if you don't have that reference VNF, it can be really easy to say, well, you know, that doesn't work on my software. And, and it's the benchmarks problem as opposed to maybe something needs to be optimized. So both of these are moves for the same purpose, which is helping operators accelerate deployment, have consistent pre-configured selection of things that are reliable performance, and then also have a consistent way of measuring the performance. This just seems critical given your earlier point of the need to move faster with virtuality virtual network deployments because of 5G. Yes, exactly. One of the things that we have found is it seems like time to market and too much customization at the wrong layer, they're, they're inverse. If you want to have lots of customization at specific layers, especially NFVI, then your time to market might suffer. And so the whole need to go faster is what the industry said. So the select solution configuration, it's a great way to just go a little bit faster and focus on time to market. So we've got select solutions coming out from a, a few um, OEMs. I would assume that this is not the end of the road for select solutions in the network. That's, that's correct. We are working very, very closely with the service provider community to understand their workloads and, and really dig into, is this mix correct or do we need to adjust the select solution and so it's an evolution we have a growing ecosystem of partners and look forward to having many many more solutions that provide that stable base for the operator community so what's next in terms of the big challenge from an intel perspective and network hmm what is next in terms of the big challenge i think maturing the benchmark Mm -hmm. and being able to have that standard unit of measure 
it's so critical for the operators to know exactly how things will work. And it's not like a synthetic benchmark is going to represent their infrastructure perfectly. But what many of the IT departments learned is the benchmark may not be accurate in their infrastructure, but they know how to translate it into how right. their infrastructure will operate. So I think that that is the next phase for the industry, is really understanding um, what stability to build into the system, where and where not to do customization if speed is important, which mm -hmm. I think we agree is very important, and then have a standard unit of measure because that also helps with speed. Well, Lynn, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. This time is no different. One final question for you. If folks want to continue to engage with you and your organization, where would you send them for more information? So first, there's intelnetworkbuilders.com, which is our online site. There's over 130 different solutions, briefs and white papers. There's Chip Chat is always a great resource because we have not just Intel voices, but also our customers and our co-travelers and partners. We also have Twitter handles. So my Twitter handle is Lynn Comp Intel. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Allison. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. Um, today we're coming to you live from SDN NFE World Congress event in The Hague. And I'm very happy to be joined by Erica Kuden, Group CTO and Head of Technology and Arch Architecture at Ericsson. Welcome, Eric. How's it going? Great. Thanks for having me here, Alison. So SDN NFE World Congress is always a highlight in terms of the evolution of the network um, architecture. And this year is no different. Um, seems to be a tremendous amount of focus on the progress with SDN and NSF delivery to network operators, as well as a lot of talk on the coming of 5G. What are you hearing at the show, and how does that uh, match up with Ericsson's strategy for delivery of network infrastructure? I think you're right. I think there is a tremendous interest in what we are doing around the world in SDN and NFV, both the uh, infrastructure part as well as the application and the management and orchestration side, and I think this conference is, is a good example of that. Actually, we have a lot of activities around the world, more than 100 operators uh, working with us when it comes to SDN and NFE. And this is about different parts of the network, uh, all of them very eager to industrialize the solutions, making sure that they get the best efficiency at the same time as they can grow their business and they can automate processes and, and, and lower the operational cost. All of these things are happening today, I would say, on the SDN and NFE side. 5G, since you ask about it, is of course uh, a big term because 5G is a system. It includes the access, it includes what we do in the core uh, transport, the SDN, mm -hmm. NFE part is the foundation for what we do in 5G as well. So they're, they're interlinked. Um, what, what do you uh, see as uh, the readiness of operators in terms of 5G and how is that influencing the speed and velocity of deployment of virtualized networks? Well, since the SDN NFV part is really the first step into 5G, and they are mm -hmm. busy rolling out uh, virtualized functions on their infrastructure, they are making changes in terms of orchestration management today. I think that readiness is there in, in basically all parts of the world. 
And we have, as I said, uh, engagements with all the leading customers around the world in that space. Now, 5G on the access side, it really starts with where we are today with the LTE system and we add capabilities to handle IoT better, uh, what we call narrowband IoT mm -hmm. and CATM. And then we take the step into new radio and that will happen gradually. In some markets, the early customers are starting already next year, 2018, but, but into 2019 and 2020, that's when we start to see the pickup of the, the new access system. So it's a gradual interaction, and, and I think this is really important, that these systems, they, they um, complement each other and becomes one infrastructure over time. Now, you, you talked about the transition from LTE to 5G. When you talk to operators, what is the primary business driver that is driving the deployment of 5G? And is it different than what you've seen from previous uh, engagements in terms of transitions from one uh, network technology to another? In a way, it's, it's quite different. I think um, the last couple of generations, we've been very focused on the consumer space. This is all about uh, transition from feature phones to smartphones and tablets and all those consumer experiences. Now we're going to do that in 5G as well with augmented virtual reality, benefiting from the low latency that the 5G new radio has. But at the same time, it opens up for completely new business with enterprises and industries. And uh, the reason for that is that the platform is so capable in terms of capacity, in terms of latency, in terms of handling things like network performance uh, in one network slice for one industry, another network performance in another network slice for another industry is on the same shared infrastructure. So we can start to address industries and enterprises in a completely new way. I think this is uh, a great learning for the whole industry, but it's also an opportunity both for service providers as well as for enterprises to capitalize on this global platform, as we say, for both digitalization and mobilization of industries. Now, Ericsson has a, a, you know, a wealth of history of being a leading provider in this space. You've been a, a leader in the transition um, to virtualize network solutions. Tell me where you are uh, with operators on deployment of virtualized networks, and then where are you in terms of early testing and trials of 5G? So on the virtualized applications, we have a complete suite, all our network applications from the packet gateway to the IMS system all the way through the list. These are all virtualized, cloud-ready, and in many cases, cloud-native implementations available for customers. Usually it's a phased approach for customers to implement this part of the network. So they may start in one area to, to work with a virtualized packet gateway or a virtualized IMS system. And there we have, as I said, leading engagements uh, with, with basically everyone uh, of the leading customers around the world. Um, when it comes to, to 5G, this is something that we've been working on both from a standardization and uh, also test system, trial system uh, basis for, for many years. Uh, over the last two to three years, we have shown the maturity of the technology, everything from the advanced antennas through how you actually build uh, systems at, at high frequency, the millimeter bands around 28 to, to 40 gigahertz, and, and of course all the bands in between. This is a journey that will continue and in the coming years, we will have commercial deployments that are either focusing on, on um, some of those consumer cases that I mentioned or focusing on perhaps fixed wireless or residential access. And in some cases, taking the step all the way to provide enterprise and industrial uh, services. So that, that varies uh, around the world. And I would say that the, the maturity on the technology side is today ahead of the maturity on the business and the business innovation side. 
Tell me a little bit about the approach of design of the 5G core system and how um, Ericsson has received feedback from operators around those deploy those early deployments and trials about flexibility and the, the capabilities that are required um, for actually running a 5G network. Well, I think you asked about uh, what, what's different, and, and this is one of the things that is truly different. So, so the fact that uh, the five G system is for consumers as well as residential as well as enterprises, that means that the flexibility has to be there from day one, and and it, it is served best in a horizontal architecture. We've been promoting very much a layered architecture, not only for the data centers, not only for the individual domains and nodes, but actually a, a layered architecture across the infrastructure. We call that uh, a distributed cloud uh, mm -hmm. infrastructure to be able to place workloads at any place to get the benefit of lower cost of transmission all the way to benefiting from the low latency. This is realized as with some of the examples we are showing in this, this event with leading customers such as Entity Docomo, Verizon and, and, and many others. That's, that's basically where we are. Now I know that you also have a, a uh, very rich history of collaboration with Intel in this space. Can you tell me about what's latest with collaborations with Intel? Absolutely. So Intel, I think, uh, has been a great partner of us, uh, both on the radio side, where we're working um, through, through, through many projects uh, recently and over the years. Uh, I think one of the things to point out is the uh, announcement that we jointly did uh, about a week ago when mm -hmm. uh, we showed uh, an early... 5G implementation or pre-commercial implementation in Estonia and Tallinn where uh, we can show the benefit of industrial applications using the low latency at the same time over distance. Uh, very appreciated both by I think industry players as well as, as uh, operators. We did this together with the uh, Telia company. Mm -hmm. But it spans a whole range of, of uh, technology collaborations. So we're also, we were very early in working with Intel on the new uh, rack scale design, which is a way to disaggregate uh, servers and data centers mm -hmm. and build more flexibility into this distributed cloud platform that extends from the central infrastructure places all the way through the, the, the network out to the edges. Uh, and I think that's, that's one of those activities which it, it takes some time, so it, it doesn't happen overnight, uh, but working on some of those leadership projects together has been, been really uh, fruitful. Now, now Ericsson has been a proponent of rack scale design for a number of years. Why has disaggregated infrastructure been so attractive for these markets? Well, I think the long-term benefits are, are clear that you have different uh, lifecycle handling of different parts of the system. Uh, but you can also see that just the flexibility that you have to deploy with different configurations and different instances across this infrastructure is, is a benefit in itself. Now, I know that industry standards play a huge role here as well. What is Ericsson's engagement there? Yeah, well, this is a, a combination of um, working together bilaterally and with partners, customers uh, around the world, and what we do in, in standardization for stabilizing interfaces in this infrastructure, all the way to open innovation and open source collaboration. And we've taken traditionally a very, very strong role in these open collaborations, both from a standardization and an open source perspective. And we continue to do so. Do so. We believe that that's the way to build industry scale. And mm -hmm. it's about uh, collaboration on new s uh, s solutions, um, bringing the best from 
multiple parties in, into a, either a, an open source project or a, a standard with, with, with stable interfaces. The industry really benefits from these industrialized platforms and uh, uh, the openness. Now, obviously, um, a lot of velocity um, in, in delivery of infrastructure is going on in the network space right now. What's next for Ericsson and what can we expect in terms of further advances in NFEI as well as 5G? This is a continuous development, and, and I think uh, when it comes to SDN and NFV, both on the application side as well as on the orchestration side, we are taking a very strong role in terms of driving this, driving this cross-domain, uh, putting more functionality into the layer of, of control, making sure that we can actually orchestrate both existing and, and new infrastructure. And uh, this will continue, no doubt. And uh, what we are seeing is that as I mentioned before, uh, 5G is very much a system for enterprises, industries as well. And being able to reach into these industries, some of those collaborations that we have, automotive, manufacturing, transport, logistics, asset tracking, and so forth, mining, one of those examples, they really teach us that we have to build systems that are even more predictable, even higher performance, even more secure going forward because they are ultimately being part of critical infrastructure, serving new user groups uh, under SLAs, which are much stricter than before. So we will push ahead, we will push our products, we will push the industry in terms of building even more high-performant network platforms, distributed clouds. And I think some of the near-term steps that you would see in the SDN and FV space is really to handle both virtualized environment as well as container-based environments, being able to uh, deploy uh, cloud-native, being able to, to drive some of the new applications into uh, an even more efficient infrastructure. Those are some of the things. Very exciting times. Um, I'm sure that we've uh, perked some interest online in learning more about uh, Ericsson's solutions. Where would you send folks online for more information about the solutions you've talked about today? Well, we have ericsson.com, and there you have under digital services, um, lot of information about what we do on the NFEI, the infrastructure part, as well as all the uh, applications. We also have published on ericsson.com more of what we do in terms of business incubation, business innovation. But I'll just also point out that there is a plethora of other information when it comes to our collaborations with industries, what we do in terms of 5G uh, innovation initiatives in US and, and what we do in Europe, what we do in Scandinavia and so forth. All of that is, of course, available on, on ericsson.com. Well, thank you so much for being on the program today. It was a real pleasure. I hope you come back soon. Thank you. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you live from the SDN NFE World Congress in The Hague. And I am delighted to have Angela Whiteford, Vice President of Marketing and Product Management from Affirm Networks, back in the studio with us. Welcome, Angela. Thanks for having me back. It's your second year of SDN NFE World Congress with Chip Chat. So thanks for making the return visit. Uh, for those of uh, our audience that missed your first interview, can you just do a quick introduction of Affirmed Networks and your role at the company? Sure. 
Uh, Affirmed has been in business for about seven years now, and our claim to fame is that we were the first supplier to come in with a fully virtualized mobile network. And so, you know, it was about seven years ago, the mobile operators came together and said, you know what, mobile data growth is skyrocketing, and the way we're building our networks, we can't cost-effectively scale mm-hmm. to do this. We've got to figure out a different way to do it, so let's do it in software. And they turned around with this architecture that was based on NFE, and Affirmed was very fortunate at the time to turn back around and say, here you go, here it is. We have over 60 deployments across the globe right now. We have some very big customers like AT&T, Vodafone, Ethisalat. And um, we're very excited. These folks are leaders in the industry in making the transition to NFE, and it's been really successful so far. Now, since the last time you were on the program, the industry has matured, and operators are becoming more sophisticated about their deployments of NFE. But this is a massive transition for these companies. I wanted to ask you what you've learned along the way in the deployments that you just referenced about how um, NFE is getting integrated and what kind of changes that requires within the organizations that you're working with. That's a great question. And I'm going to hone in on your last point about changes within the organization. That is probably the biggest hurdle that operators are going through right now, right? So they have built their network operations teams around these basic big box appliances and how to configure them, how to manage them, how to look at metrics and performance of them. You've now changed that world completely. And you said, now you're moving to a software architecture, you're running on common hardware, you've got this you know, virtualization layer, this BIM layer, how do you work with that? And I think th- that that challenge of getting their teams up to speed on this new architecture, the n- new how applications are run, how you measure the performance of them, how do you tune your network, is a big hurdle. And it's a big thing that they need to overcome. And what we've seen with some of our leading customers is that they've actually asked us to come in and help them on that journey. So yes, we build software. Yes, we build applications. But we also know how to help them build their networks and how to run the networks and what to look for. So you could call it managed services. You could call it system integration. But what we've been doing for operators is coming in, helping them build the architecture, having their teams work alongside so they learn Mm -hmm. how to build, how to tune. Every application is different. Like a a mobile packet core application versus a firewall application versus um, a web services application, they're all different, and they all have slightly different hardware requirements. You know, you think you move to virtualization and can just run everything on a common platform. You can't. Right. I mean, that's, that's the dirty little secret. You absolutely cannot. If you want the performance and the SLAs that operators need to have, because their goal is, I want to lower the cost of every bit I deliver across my network, you have to tune. Sure. And that takes, that takes integration and deployment and tuning experience, and we've been bringing that to the teams. And it, it, it is an interesting thing about, you know, you're basically talking about workload optimized performance for every given workload and every given environment. Because I would assume that as you deploy those different functions, 
you're also deploying them in living and breathing environments within each of these operators. And everybody has their flavor that Uh they like. And so, again, I'll phrase this as an opportunity, affirmed us at an opportunity to build our applications and run our applications in all these different flavors, you know. And um, there's a lot of learnings that come along with that. And um, we've been able to share those with the operators to say what's best for that, you know, optimize workloads, as you said, for the given choice. You know, some people go with best of suite. Some people go with best of breed. Many operators are going best of breed. They're saying, look, I like this hardware. I like this VIM. I like these VNFs. And I want this performance. And I want to be able to have these types of SLAs. Mm -hmm. That's a tall task. Yeah. And there's very few... um, there's very few people out there who have expertise in it. This is still new for, mm-hmm. for many, right? So that we've been able to share a lot of those learnings. Now, the speed in which operators are moving or feeling challenged to move is accelerating. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, uh, I think 5G is one of the uh, drivers of that acceleration or readiness for 5G, if you will. Affirmed is no different in in getting ready for 5G. Tell me what you've been introducing to the market. You know, um, we we have coined this term of a 5G-ready network. And what we're offering to operators is this. We're saying, don't wait for 5G. There's a handful of capabilities you can get right now, and you need them right now. Um, And they will be available to you when when you start, you know, fully deploying your 5G use cases. But things like network slicing, things like embedded probes and analytics, things like automation, cups, control plane, user plane separation, right? You're you're breaking up that centralized architecture and you're distributing it. You're putting the user plane closer to the edge so you can have lower latency, um, higher bandwidth type applications. Those are all things that you can get on a 5G ready network or a 4G network right now. And that's what we're offering up. Um, I think the incumbent vendors have, are doing a disservice to the operators by saying, hey, wait, wait, it's coming. It's coming with 5G. No, you can have it on a 4G network right now, and you should. Every operator says that 4G is not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. They're going to build out the 5G RAN first, and they're going to use their 4G cores. Well, the 4G core that they need to have is an advanced 4G core that gives them all those capabilities. Network slicing, you need it now. If I'm going to go and launch a smart meter service or I'm going to launch a residential mobile broadband service, I I better be able to slice the network because I'm getting a few cents on the smart meter and I'm getting 40 or 50 bucks on the residential. I better tune my network differently to support each of those services. And you can do that with network slicing capabilities today. And what do you see while you're working with operators about the deployment of these advanced features? Are, are they on the same page? That these are critical things to do? You know, it's um, how it works almost is the journey that Affirmed went through. As soon as you start deploying net, uh, virtualized networks and virtualized functions, you start realizing, oh, wait a minute. Um, my existing probe is not going to work the mm-hmm. way I need it to. So... An example of this is your VMs are all moving around. Where do you probe the network? Where is the tap that you can actually tap your network when everything is turning into software now and you have virtual machines? So what Affirm did was we said, okay, there's got to be a better way to do this. Let's embed a probe in every single one of our VNFs. So as your VNFs expand, 
you know, if you're scaling them, your probe expands as well. And we take advantage of the correlation of the data that's happening in the VNF to give the operator a real-time analytics feed. So you don't have to have a separate appliance. You basically have a function already running in, in, inside your VNF that gives you the analytics. And those are examples of things you're, you're learning and operators are taking advantage of. They're saying, wait a minute, you mean I don't need a separate box to gather analytics? And I said, no. Mm-hmm. You, it's embedded now. And you can do that with software. You can do that with virtualization, right? Another one, another uh, great example is automation. So we're not walking into greenfield deployments, right? You've got these environments where you've got legacy PNFs, physical network functions, mm-hmm. and virtual network functions, and you need to stitch a service across them, right? You've got your mobile packet core, you've got a firewall, maybe you have an, a CPE device at the customer site. How do I stitch that service together in an automated fashion so I can roll it out faster, time to revenue, mm-hmm. make my customers happier, right? Uh, that was the concept of automation, and everybody's buzzing about it right now, but we actually came out with an automation product two years ago because our customers asked us for it. They said, it's taking me four months to onboard an enterprise customer. Can you make this go faster? And so we, we developed the tool. And again, a lot of this is just coming from going through the deployments and realizing where the gaps are, and you've got to fill those gaps with products. So earlier you talked about the need for interplay between the underlying infrastructure and, and the custom tuning of software uh, for a particular operator environment, which really lends to you really need to know your ecosystem partners well. Tell me about the importance of the ecosystem working together and how does Intel Network Builders uh, play into um, helping facilitate some of those co- conversations? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There's a, there's a few few areas that are extremely important in our business. One is performance. Um, another one is just technology advancement in terms of new capabilities. And in both examples, Intel has helped us directly, and I'll talk about that, and then through partnerships. So through the partnerships, I'll, I'll hit that one first, but Intel has created great relationships with a number of our ecosystem partners from a hardware standpoint as well from the virtualization layer. So folks like HPE, folks like Dell, Red Hat, VMware, all critical partners to help us ensure we have the most advanced capabilities in the VNFs that we're delivering and that the entire stack is tuned for the best performance. That's what we're known for in the market is in virtualization in general, every operator wants their VNFs to perform better than what they have in the legacy world today. And so Intel Builders has been wonderful in bringing us together to focus on particular products, uh, projects, whether it's you know, benchmarking network performance, looking at new technology capabilities to advance, uh, ad- advance analytics or advance the support of certain types of encryption, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Intel has really come to the table for that and helped us, and Intel Builders specifically, in bringing that ecosystem together. Now, if we switch to Intel itself, there's two areas that Intel has really helped us. One, again, is on performance. Affirmed has really built our architecture around taking advantage of the the chipsets that Intel brings to the table. So right now, we're benchmarking Skylake, mm-hmm. and we're seeing about a 40% increase in performance. Wow, that's great. Which is huge. Yeah. Every time Intel comes out with a new chipset, we see between 30 and 40% improvement. That's massive. 
just by taking advantage of the chipset. So that's been great. Another thing uh, we did a little over a year ago is we launched a fully virtualized Wi-Fi gateway. And in that one, we were able to do all IPsec encryption and software. Nobody can do that in the market today. We use Intel's crypto libraries to do that IPsec encryption and software. And what that means is this, that operators can buy a virtualized Wi-Fi gateway, EPDG or a TWAG, and everything is running in software. So it's a less expensive solution than the hardware-based solutions today and running at full performance. Wow. And, and it was really those crypto libraries that helped us, and that was key. Fantastic. Well, Angela, I'm sure we've piqued some folks' interest about Affirm Network Solutions where would you send them for more information? I give them my personal phone number. <laughs> no, but seriously, um, please go to uh, our website, affirmnetworks.com. Fantastic. It was wonderful having you back on the show again. I hope we do this again soon. Thanks so much. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from the SDN NFV World Congress in The Hague. And I am delighted to be joined by Timo Yokioho, AMIA Senior Technologist for Telecom and NFV at Red Hat. Welcome, Timo. How's it going? Thanks a lot, and uh, thanks for having me here. So Red Hat obviously has a history of being known for open source-based software solutions and um, a tremendous amount of traction within the data center, but you guys are also playing a very important role in communications networks. Can you tell me about um, why the focus on communications networks? Yes, of course. So, um, as you said, Red Hat is really well known on IT enterprise side, and uh, we are still kind of uh, uh, really well known on uh, Linux distribution, which is Red Hat Enterprise Linux, mm -hmm. RHEL, as we call it. Now, that's of course something we do and we continue to do. It's, it's a really important product for us, but uh, our product portfolio right now is, is uh, way much more than RHEL only. Mm -hmm. you know, we have an uh, OpenStack distribution, we have OpenShift for containers, we have software-defined storage, we have middleware for, for uh, Java applications, we have a lot of stuff. But uh, interestingly enough, we are still viewed as a rail company, mm -hmm. which we try to kind of change the, the, the understanding of the industry. So that's all good. And that all applies uh, still very strongly to, to IT data centers and enterprises. Now, uh, the communication service providers, CSPs, that's a highly interesting discussion topic because... Uh, uh, Red Hat is really not known or has not been known as a telco networking company mm -hmm. ever before. Now, when NFE came on board five years ago when the service providers launched the first uh, white paper of NFE, uh, even at that time, we really didn't realize that that would be a good thing for us to do. It took a while. It took probably a year mm -hmm. after the original uh, launch of NFE when uh, when Etsy NFE Group approached Red Hat and asked our uh, kind of guidance and uh, help in in building uh, open solutions for NFE, open source, open API, collaborative, and we were kind of uh, wondering that why do they talk to us? We are not really a networking company. And at that moment, 
of course we engaged with an NFE group heavily. Now we are full member and all that stuff. Uh, so we engaged them and then we realized that, oh wow, this uh, NFE opens us a completely new business opportunities in telco networking where right. we have never been before. Mm-hmm. And this is probably like uh, four years ago, three and a half years ago. And since then, we have been uh, engaging a lot with service providers, helping them, of course, to understand open source, which uh, which they do understand now, maybe not fully, but uh, they understand, they embrace that, and they want to work with uh, open source companies, including Red Hat, of course. So that has been an interesting journey, and uh, journey will continue, of course, uh, as everybody knows. We have all these events uh, multiple times of the year, and there's always, uh, of course, um, some progress, sometimes less, sometimes more. And looks like this year, 2017, is kind of uh, making a big difference after these years of Etsy work, OPNFE work in Linux Foundation. Mm -hmm. And now live deployments happen finally, Mm -hmm. you know, as we speak. It has taken a time, and uh, it's. Um, I think it's. It, it is. It is understandable because uh, telco networks are so critical infrastructure. So mm-hmm. you you don't want to, you don't want to mess up with that. You have to be careful. You have to do proof of concepts. You have to be sure that what I'm, what the use case I'm planning to deploy, it really works. Because right. if you put something into live network and it doesn't work it's a it's a big big uh, miss missed kind of uh, business opportunity for the telcos you know it's interesting as, as you talked about the journey uh, from you know you know no traction within the com service provider space to being very much at the heart of development for com service providers it really reflects the underlying changing uh, nature of the the network to virtual virtualized approach as well as an incredible embrace of open source within the operators themselves i've been very struck by the fact that the operators are actually joining many of the open source initiatives alongside their industry counterparts um how has that helped in terms of red hat's delivery of solutions in this space and any key learnings out of working side by side with operators so you know first of all i completely agree what you said at uh Operators are embracing open source. They are even uh, participating and collaborating in open source projects. Not all, but many. And we as Red Hat, we would like to take a little bit credit mm-hmm. on that because we have been doing this this uh, education for these last uh, few years with service provi- providers who many of those really understand that it's it's good for me as a service provider to put my engineers to work with other guys on the the community project because that's how open source works you have mm-hmm. to have your engineers there and many service providers have realized that hmm, i can work with other guys in the open source communities to bring my requirements in terms of features into the open source communities because in open source there is no product management to whom you can send requirements that do this for me in this time frame it doesn't work like that it works putting your people in the in the in the communities to work with other even with competitors and that's what red hat has done more than 20 years now uh after this well journey is still on of course it still continues but uh, 
it has helped uh, Red Hat a lot to work with uh, service providers in NFE space when they really understand how open source works and they see that uh, Red Hat is a company who is only doing open source. We don't have any closed source proprietary code. Mm-hmm. No, not a single line. It's all based on open source upstream, as we call it, upstream development model. So we have kind of gained credibility in front of the service providers by going through this uh, journey with them and and making them uh, or helping them to understand how open source works. So I, I, I still cannot say that Red Hat is well known in telco networking industry. Mm-hmm. We are still not, but we are starting to be a credible component or technology provider in that space, which has been our goal all well, along. And you mentioned that deployments are starting, which uh, brings me to the news of the day, which is the introduction of the Intel Select Solution, new um, solution for NFEI featuring Red Hat. Um, reflective of, I think, where the industry is in terms of deployments happening today, as well as the history of collaboration between Intel and Red Hat. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. <coughs> so first of all, uh, Intel and Red Hat, we have been collaborating for a long time, maybe even the whole 20 years when Red Hat has been doing doing this open source development. You know, Intel, Intel architecture and Intel, uh, Intel underlying uh, CPUs and network cards, they are always, uh, they have always been the first ones we certify mm-hmm. because they have a really uh, big footprint in, in, in the data, data centers and now telco networking as well. So we have a long history uh, working together. And now we, of course, work in NFEI or NFE space as well. And uh, the announcement today is uh, one step further in this collaboration. And uh, Again, this is a first first step with us in Intel Select Solution for NFE, where uh, where Intel uh, uh, introduces uh, again Red Hat Enterprise Linux as mm-hmm. one of the host operating system in the Select Solution uh, with their new uh, Xeon scalable processor family, which uh, which is uh, a really good match for uh, for communication use cases in telco networking. So that's a that's a really good step, and uh, we focus now maybe even more in our Linux distribution space to have networking performance in place mm-hmm. with Intel architecture underneath, having uh, having uh, uh, maybe some offload features uh, offloaded to the NIC cards with Intel provides and other people provide. So that's a good step, and I hope uh, this. Uh, Intel Select Solution for NFE will develop even further to include other technology components from us. HPE, Huawei, and Lenovo were the among the first to announce that they'll deliver solutions to the market based on this configuration, which I guess is great for both of our companies. Um, tell me what the operator response has been in terms of um, the collaboration here. So, so generally speaking, uh, operators are always... Uh, kind of nodding their heads mm-hmm. when people announce partnerships in, in this NFE space because NFE is a big partner play for Red Hat. It's a big partner play for service providers uh, because it changes the model how the network equipment are, are built. I mean, mm-hmm. from the proprietary 
you know, black boxes into horizontally layered things. So generally speaking, they are always happy when people partner with each other. And Intel being a fundamentally important uh, technology provider for service provider, maybe this uh, partnership announcement is even more exciting. That's what I'm kind of hearing today when talking to the people here in The Hague. It looks, it looks awesome. Nice. Now, looking forward, obviously, this industry of, of operators is moving very quickly in terms of uh, moving from POCs and concepts around virtualized networks into deployments. What are you seeing shaping up as you look forward to 2018? So <coughs> there's, there's still a lot to do, as expected. And... Uh, And um, one of the things which uh, which is kind of a hot topic and seems to be a theme of this week as well is uh, is uh, bringing in automation into mm-hmm. NFE space. So so far NFE has been I I I, I never really called NFE as a cloud computing uh, exercise or initiative, mm-hmm. but that's the goal. So but what has happened so far is. Uh, virtualizing physical functions with OpenStack in our case. That's all good. And there's not much much automation in place yet. So Mm -hmm. automation will be the next uh, big thing and it has to happen uh, because if it doesn't happen, then just virtualizing physical functions, that's a good thing, but it really does not bring all the benefits which uh, service providers are looking for. So Mm -hmm. they need automation and they need... uh, the the mano part or the NFE orchestrator uh, kind of consolidation and having a full functional NFE orchestrator in place, which is not in place yet. So automation. Do you see a role for containers here? Absolutely. So so that's another. So containers are already you know widely used and very popular in in enterprises or sure. data centers. That's all nice and and good. And there is more and more talk about uh, containers in NFE space as well, and it's going to happen. So, for example, if we look really forward, it's a it's a fair assumption that uh, 5G network will be based on NFE SDN principle in containers, mm-hmm. and and things like edge computing container is containers are kind of a perfect match for edge computing applications. Mm-hmm. So that's going to happen now. Having said this, uh, we need to be just a little bit careful on that thing, not from a technology point of view. You know, technology is there almost a little bit more development and it's all good and done. Now, the issue is, uh, which is going to go away, is that neither Etsy NFE nor OBNFE kind of uh, include containers yet mm-hmm. into their spec or into the reference implementation by OBNFE. And those are the industry bodies which kind of uh, industry recognizes and works uh, along those lines. Etsy NFE uh, reference architecture and OPNFE reference implementation and containers are not there yet. But both of the exercises are working on that. I don't know the time frame exactly, but Etsy NFE ISG group will be adding container dimension in their reference architecture. Virtual machine is not going to go away they will kind of coexist, which is a good thing. Sure. And OBNFE will do the same. They will include containers into their reference implementation. So that's going to happen. Again, I'm not sure about the time frame, but 
it will happen. Yeah. And when it happens, then we start seeing uh, NFE platform, software platform products having container capabilities as well. Sure. Yeah. And it makes sense that you're starting to hear about the demand for that, the standards and reference designs will follow, and then solutions enter the pro- into the marketplace. Yes. One final question for you. I'm sure that folks want to hear more about the Red Hat solutions for um, comm service provider industry. Where would you send them for more information? So, you know, Red Hat's uh, website, the Red Hat, uh, redhat.com, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the high-level link. And then uh, navigating on that, we have sp- uh, specific pages from the landing page to Red Hat, uh, how is it called, Telco Solutions, mm-hmm. which we have where we have uh, the links to our, uh, our OpenStack product, Red Hat OpenStack, which we now use for NFEI Vim and which is being deployed as we speak in, in, I don't even know how many places globally, but a lot with all the features built in, which have uh, come from the NFE exercise uh, to have a, a, a sufficient networking performance and to have all these availability features which need to be there. So Red Hat OpenStack platform is the one we now uh, deploy in NFE space before the containers come into the picture. Sure. Yes. Fantastic. Well, it's uh, a very much a uh, valued collaboration between our companies. C- congratulations on the announcement of the Select Solution delivery today, and we look forward to having you back on the program soon. Excellent. Thank you very much. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from the SDN NFE World Congress in The Hague, and I'm joined by Jambi Gambar, Senior Technology Solutions Manager at VMware. Welcome, Jambi. How's it going? Hi, Allison. Going great. Wonderful weather here in uh, The Hague. It reminds me a lot of my home in Portland, Oregon, which is always gray and cloudy this time of year, so um, I feel good. Same here. No (laughs) change from... I'm living and working in Berlin, Germany, and it's Pretty much the same. Yeah. <laughs> there you so, go. Yeah. <laughs> so we're both feeling comfortable. But what, what I really want to know about is what is your role? What does it mean to be a senior technology solutions manager at VMware in association with the comm service provider industry? I ask myself the same question about three times a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a good question to start with. Um, what it specifically means is um, I, I work within our product um, group within Mm -hmm. the NFV business unit, which means that our focus and sole focus really is on our telecommunication customers. Mm -hmm. So that means CSPs, MSPs, anything like that. And my responsibility is really to look at our solutions because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, when you're looking at the needs of our customers, they want to deploy network services. And our solution is a integral part of this, but it's not the complete integral part of it because it's infrastructure, mm-hmm. right? So you need to put something on top of the infrastructure in order for an actual network service to exist. Sure. And my group's responsibility is to help our partners understand how our solution works and also take requirements back from that interaction with partners and with customers and feed them 
into the product management role. And that's, in essence, my job. Now, obviously, VMware has decades of um, experience in working within data centers, um, you know, from the birth of virtualization in data centers. I guess my question for you is, what is the evolution from a data center focus to a core network focus within the comm service provider industry? And has the birth of virtualization been the perfect moment uh, for VMware to make that transition? Um, that's a good question because I don't think, at least, at least as far as I know, we didn't plan NFV to happen when it did end of 2012 right. uh, and uh, actually getting operationalized or already at the end of 2014. So mm -hmm. um, I wish we could claim respo responsibility for this. <laughs> we can't. Um, mm -hmm. But we have, uh, when it happened, we have been doing virtualization since 1998. That's when the company actually started, right? Mm -hmm. So that actually meant that we had a lot of experience in doing similar uh, or reaching similar goals as the telecommunication industry was looking to do. In essence, it's exactly what happened in the end of the 90s and early 2000s in the enterprise space. Mm -hmm. Even though I come from telco background and I worked for operators and I worked with a lot of the major vendors, mm -hmm. um, I still see that there's commonalities to the problems. In this problem space, we're trying to virtualize something from purpose-built hardware to... VM, mm -hmm. in essence, and there's some unique requirements that come from the fact that the telco industry is heavily regulated, there's penalties involved when I pick up the phone and there's no dial tone, somebody's going to pay somebody yeah. else. Yeah. Uh, so there were a lot of commonalities in which we can leverage our extensive experience and the whole company having done this in the past. We've done it for servers, we've done this for networking then with NSX, we've done it for storage with vSAN, so all different products that in essence do the same thing. And then my group's job is actually to take these new requirements that are specific to service providers, bring them into the main product line. So mm -hmm. we're not building something on the side just for telcos. We're taking these requirements, putting them into the main product line, which means that every one of our customers that are deploying our hypervisors, our virtualized, virtualized networking stack, will be using the same requirements. Mm -hmm. And that sort of, so it was like a perfect moment, if you will, that just happened to be the perfect moment also for telecommunications. Sure. Now tell me about the VMware Ready for NFE program, because it sounds like it folds right into what you're talking about. Accidentally, I didn't, mm -hmm. didn't plan that <laughs> way. Um, right, so as I mentioned earlier, um, we, in essence, we have a solution that addresses the, if, if you think of the Etsy um, reference architecture, it addresses the virtualization layer within the NFVI as well as a choice of a VIM, a virtualized infrastructure mm -hmm. manager, and extensive management capabilities. That's great, that's an infrastructure. One needs a stable, solid infrastructure in order to start the journey into virtualization. Sure. But you still need to take virtual network functions and put them on top. Mm -hmm. That's your revenue generator. The Ready for NV program, in essence, brings in partners, which means VNF vendors, 
and works we work together with them to first help them understand the capabilities of the system and then test them and make sure that we have verified that a typical VNF lifecycle on vCloud NFV is working as expected by our common customers. So that when a vendor brings a VNF into our lab, our my team executes an extensive set of test cases and actually does exactly the same role or functionality that a typical ops team within a carrier will do and make sure that when it comes out of their lab, we tested this, we know it's going to work. If there's any issues, we will fix it together. Mm -hmm. It's much more convenient to fix issues in the comfort of your own lab as opposed to when you're in a park and there's a service provider sitting on your shoulder right. and the account manager sitting on the other shoulder and there's a lot of stress. In our lab, it's all engineers. We're all working together towards a common goal. So I assume you're looking at carrier-grade reliability capabilities within these VNFs as well as performance tuning to the VMware environment. Yes. So there's actually a few steps before that. That's almost the deep water in the pool. Mm-hmm. You, you sort of need to get into the pool from the very shallow end where the kids are running around with their little ducks and <laughs> all that stuff. And then you move mm -hmm. towards the deep end. So actually what customers want, what our customers, the carriers are interested in, is first of all that the package of the VNF makes sense and you can consume it very easily. Mm -hmm. Once you consume that package and onboarded it into your service catalog or your service component catalog. You need to be able to then deploy it from there. You need to make sure that the resources that you assigned to that VN VNF are available. So you need to have some mechanism to check that. You also need to make sure that once you've deployed that VNF into your cloud, your telco cloud, then certain what we call at VMware basic functionality is supported before you actually get to, is it performance optimized, is it not? Performance optimization is certainly something that we check in mm -hmm. the program. Mm -hmm. We make sure that the configuration that is used by the VNFs where performance is actually relevant, it's not clear across the board. Not every VNF is actually concerned with performance because there's a lot of use cases, Etsy use cases that are that right. they're just VMs in essence. They will not as much as we'd like to think that we're special, they they operate very, very well in an environment that's not very targeted towards performance because they don't have data plane performance requirements. Right. Control plane, it's mm -hmm. something that is supported and works and we've had customers in deployment for years now of control plan applications. So performance is really becoming a big deal when you're looking at virtualizing data plane intensive workloads. Sure. And we also make sure that if a VNF that comes into the lab is categorized as a data plane intensive workload, we check that that configuration is applied correctly and that it also makes sense from a from the customer perspective, from the end deployment. And we also check for high availability, for example. So there's two, two layers of high availability, in essence, in a virtualized environment. There's one layer, which is the inherent layer within 
the solution, meaning VCloud NFV, our solution, offers the VNF mm -hmm. that's sitting on top of it, some, some high availability capabilities. Simply because our hypervisor, I'm, gonna, uh, I'm sorry for the following, our hypervisor is smart. So mm -hmm. it understands that VM died, I need to spin a new VM right. over here. That's exactly the same copy, right? Mm -hmm. As an example, our, our management solution is able to detect that server is degrading in health. It's going to fail for sure. I'm going to vacate all the VMs before. Migrate them somewhere else. Yeah, no. take them out. Why, why do I want to wait until it fails? So this is the first level. These are the inherent capabilities of the underlying platform that, in essence, the VNFs can consume. Mm -hmm. We check for that. There's a second layer, which is the VNF itself. That's something that's a lot more difficult to check because it changes between every implementation, sure. obviously. So this is typically the kind of test that will be done later on in a, in a service provider lab because they typically change based on the use case and what kind of environment is being consumed. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, you talked a lot about um, earlier about we'd much rather do this kind of testing in our own labs than in a POC where you've got the operator standing over your shoulders seeing how things are going. What has been the response from operators for those VNFs that have flowed through um, the VMware Ready program? And um, what is the rate of, you know, speed of deployment for things that have uh, gone through this program compared to the old way of doing things? Right. So I see that um, it's, a, it's actually a really good question because we've, the program operates for about two years now. Mm -hmm. And we've seen a significant uptick in the number of VNFs that's coming to the lab, I would say, in the last year and a half. Mm -hmm. So currently we have published 46 different VNFs that already went through this program in this time. And um, with three additional ones are just waiting for publication, so I can't officially name them. But we'll wait. <laughs> they're done, mm -hmm. so they're just going to get published uh, soon. So that actually means that we're almost at the 50 mark in under two years. Mm -hmm. um, from my experience having work working with vendors my pretty much my whole career, no vendor has ever done anything unless it helps them to do something. Right. Right? So that actually tells me that customers are asking them, do this. Right. Because customers are interested in not being the integration point between two different vendors. That makes sense. Up until now, telcos used to go to a vendor and buy a big fridge-sized thing that did all functionality. All you had to do was plug in Ethernet cables or whatever, right. electricity, configure it, and it worked. Now there's several parties that needs to be there in order for this to do the same functionality. So. Logically, service providers are telling their VNF suppliers, we want to use VMware as our infrastructure, go work together with VMware so that we don't have to deal with integration. So that reception obviously is service providers are seeing the benefits to them and it helps speed up deployment help also keep epoch because there's still going to be some kind of epoch later on. Right. For sure. But that POC can actually focus now on aspects that are very relevant to that service provider deployment. Right. And they don't have to do 
any integration work. And it's, it's not that integration work is a massive undertaking, but it is important to get the basics right mm -hmm. and to understand how the platform works. And so that's really what we're trying to do when we get these VNFs into the lab is it's not just let's get you certified. That's, that's easy. It's let's get you to understand what are the capabilities, how to leverage them. Maybe you need to go back to R&D and make some changes to your mm -hmm. code and then come back to the lab just so that when the carriers go to deploy, that deployment is really painless and quick. That's, after all, one of the promises of NFV. That we want to be able to deploy services quicker. That is part of that mechanism to get the carriers there. Now, I, I, this is an Intel podcast, so I will ask you. Um, you know, we have a decades-long history of collaboration. I think we probably knocked on your door on day two um, to help um, understand the interplay between uh, VMware virtualization and the underlying hardware running on Intel architecture. What is the role of Intel architecture within uh, the delivery of these VNF solutions within a VMware environment? And where does the benefit of VMware really under have understanding and influencing that underlying architecture help in terms of the solutions that are being delivered to the market? So as you said, yes, we work very close together forever. In fact, our CEO came from Intel, and mm -hmm. he likes to tell the story of our founding fathers going into his office mm -hmm. pitching the idea of VMware, and him basically saying, so you're pitching the idea of instead of me selling 10 servers, I will sell one server. <laughs> and Diane Green getting very excited, saying, yes, you could do this. And he said, I am in the business of selling chips to servers, therefore I want to sell more. So we've been together for a long time, uh, Intel mm -hmm. and VMware. And what we see here, in, in specifically in virtualization, is that you guys are doing a lot of wonderful things in helping our customers, our joint customers, accelerate their data plane networking capabilities. So really moving from, and up until now, all our customers had purpose-build chips mm -hmm. that were specifically designed and constructed to do some networking functions. Now you are you're trying to drive the same or similar capabilities into a general purpose architecture that is deployed everywhere, right? Um, and that that those capabilities that you're adding because of our partnership, we obviously uh, support and uh, we work very closely to make sure that we're in line with all your um, new bells and whistles that that you provide to us in, in the performance space that's a very close collaboration. Mm -hmm. And um, and really, it, it starts from simple, th <laughs> I don't want to belittle them, but important yet simple things like drivers uh, mm -hmm. to uh, that improve performance uh, and all the way up to things like um, new alignment and... Um, In essence, <laughs> every capability that we currently have built, for example, into our newest um, Vim, mm -hmm. into VMware Integrated OpenStack, for example, can be traced back to some capabilities that exist or that have been promoted heavily by Intel and us working together to make the support needed in our products. Fantastic. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Jambi. Um, 
One final question for you. If folks want to engage in the VMware Ready for NFV program and want to engage with VMware on a POC or a trial, um, either either way, where would they go for more information? So the Ready for NFV program actually has its own website, and if you type VMware Ready for NFV in your favorite search engine, then you're going to get there. It's mm -hmm. going to be the first hit. Um, and other than this, um, our our solutions website, um, which is VMware.com go NFV um, will also get you all the information you need, all white papers, joint performance white paper we did, anything you can imagine uh, will be there and that's also where you get contact. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the program today. Thank you guys for hosting me. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from the SDN NFV World Congress in The Hague. And I am delighted to be joined by George Hamilton, Vice President of Marketing at Rift.io. Welcome back, George. Oh, thanks for having me back. So, George, you were last on the program um, about a year ago, and you introduced um, our audience to Riftware and Rift.io. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the company for those who didn't listen in last time and um, where we've gone with Riftware since that point. Sure. Well, thank you. And uh, Rift, uh, Rift.io has been around since 2013, mm -hmm. so still a relatively young company. But of the, I think the, uh, the uniqueness of Rift.io Rift is that the team uh, very much, they're really the engineers uh, and designers of today's wireless infrastructure. A lot of them came over from Starnet Networks, Redback, uh, eventually Starnet was acquired by Cisco. So years and years of network expertise um, and and building very scalable service delivery platforms. That's really what's in the DNA of Rift.io. Mm -hmm. And so they saw an opportunity years ago of looking at this next phase of networking and knew that there was going to need to be this orchestration of the software layer. And so uh, they launched the company in 2013, uh, had some uh, successful rounds of funding. And now over the last, you know, this is our third SDN NFE World Congress. Mm -hmm. uh, and the difference we're seeing from where open source Mano was an idea a couple of years ago to now where there's 80 members and three releases of code and Riftware producing a commercial Mano uh, aligned with Etsy mm -hmm. NFV and with the OSM information models. And to see how it's come across, uh, how it's progressed over the last couple of years is nothing short of remarkable. When you, when you look at the progress that's been made, um, one question that I have is where are the operators in terms of their um, comfort with moving to open source and um, integrating open source solutions into their environments? And have you seen a change over that time period? Oh, tremendously. If you said something, I mean, for specifically to open source, mm -hmm. we're ab it's almost a prerequisite now. Mm -hmm. um, for our company, it's almost something that's a checkmark item for the carriers now is that you need to be supporting open source. Um, so that's a complete change from a few years ago where open source was not something in the in the telco world would be widespread. Um, so it's very different. But I think what we're hearing the challenges to this point is that even though we're moving towards this software model, mm -hmm. um, we are not moving towards a very horizontal and scalable distributed type of environment yet. We're still seeing a lot of vendors positioning individual VNFs or network services. 
within a vertically integrated software stack from the NFV infrastructure all the way up to the VNF application itself. Mm -hmm. And how is that much different from buying a hardware platform that is vertically integrated in the same way? So we're kind of trading in one complexity for another. And what we're seeing now from the carriers that's, is as they've gone through different parks trials and working with different VNF vendors is they're telling us and they're telling the VNF partners that we work with, I don't want to have to integrate a dozen vendor-specific VNFMs to try sure. to manage this. I can't do an end-to-end -end service that way. It's very hard for me to be multi-vendor. Um, so what they're looking for is, is a common management and orchestration uh, supported by a, you know common information and data models uh, so that they can deploy VNFs consistently regardless mm -hmm. of what vendor it comes from. And at the same time, a lot of the VNF providers, rather than positioning the value of their software and the specific features capabilities of their software, they position how they built it, which is kind of the hardware mentality of selling. Yeah, right? sure. And so moving to a software model, they have to move... Uh, and it's being driven by the carriers who are saying, uh, I want to be able to compare your software against other software in an apples-to-apples -apples way, knowing that I can deploy it in the same way and have a shared infrastructure that mm -hmm. supports multiple use cases. And having orchestration and automation, that common layer, uh, is key to that. And I, I would assume they want to be able to choose best-of-breed VNFs and have the confidence that they can choose the operating environment of their choice to run those VNFs interoperably. Exactly. If you're deploying these islands in isolation, you're not getting any of the scale benefits, the economic benefits of having a shared infrastructure uh, that supports multiple use cases. So your utilization is is poor. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not really operating a cloud. You've just kind of virtualized hardware appliances, but you're not running a shared infrastructure that you can run multiple applications on top of and deploy in a simple and consistent way. Think of what we're moving towards, and we're certainly not there yet, but this idea that an operator can build a, a service catalog like an app store, right. <laughs> a marketplace of network services that are easy to click, drag, and, and deploy. Eventually, that's what we want to get to is mm -hmm. this dynamic service delivery. So what is under development in Riffware to get us there? Because you just talked a lot about the concept of service automation. You talked about need for a lot of interoperability and tuning with uh, various members of the ecosystem. And then, you know, taking full advantage of the, um, the hardware underlying the solution. Right. And for us, we're a best of breed orchestrator. So we have a integrated service orchestrator, resource orchestrator capability. So it's a Mano solution that's aligned with the Etsy NFE Mano specs mm -hmm. and with the OSM information model. And our goal is to kind of create this common orchestration layer where we can support multiple VIMs. So we have plugins to all the different VIMs. So we can support OpenStack, VMware's integrated OpenStack, OpenVim, um, and others, and Amazon, mm -hmm. even for public cloud. And so we have this abstraction layer that abstracts all the complexity of the underlying hardware and the networking infrastructure. Uh, so in, everything is done through open APIs and interfaces. So below us, we can, uh, using things like Intel's enhanced platform awareness attributes, if that's uh, built into the network service descriptor in the VNF descriptor files, we can actually automate the placement of VNF workloads on the most optimal infrastructure according to some of those attributes. So that Fantastic. gives us uh, a really good uh, eye into the infrastructure and what unique capabilities the different pools of infrastructure have to deploy the workload in the most economical and, and 
performance-oriented place. When you look at where we are at as an industry, what do you think is going to get us there in terms of that fully automated um, and discoverable app store type of experience? (laughs) Yeah, I think some... uh, Now, and I've noticed during this show that a lot of the talk, I think, that comes from the press, too, is that they like to have a fight. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what makes a good article is controversy mm-hmm. and fight. So there's a lot of positioning. The, th- the narrative seems to be there's a whole bunch of fragmentation in the industry. I don't think it's quite as bad as it's depicted in the press very often. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're going to start to see is this movement towards a more common information model. Um, and also building interoperability between different data models, information models. There is, you know, we shouldn't be having Tosca versus Yang debates. It's besides the point. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as you have a consistent schema, that's what's important, and you can do data translation. So I think the the thing that's going to move this forward is the carriers want to move faster, and I think they're going to start pushing uh, vendors to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have one particular carrier we can't talk about yet, but absolutely is moving down that path and the big thing to them is having a common management layer with a supported by a common information model and open apis and interfaces that allows them to choose any vnf create a service catalog and automate the deployment under the infra- uh, on whatever cloud infrastructure that they have so i think in general the industry is going to start to coalesce i think really it has to um, and create some interoperability amongst things like ONAP, OSM, um, a lot of rumors about how they might merge together, things like mm-hmm. that, which are coming from the press. But really, that's, again, besides the point. It's if they're interoperable, and that, um, then that's going to push the industry forward as long as sure. they can work together. Makes a lot of sense. So what is next for Rift.io? Well, at the show here today, we're showing a lot of some of the carrier-grade features we recently uh, added to the, the latest uh, release of Riftware uh, 5.1.3, long release number. Uh, but the biggest things that came out of that were actually this was input from a carrier uh, that looked for things like uh, RBAC, multi-tenancy projects. It was actually demoed yesterday during the Open Source Manor workshop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us, the other thing to, to build on is building out the automation capabilities. Because now everything, the buzz now in the industry seems to be have moved from orchestration and Mano in general terms to more automation. Yep. And so the first step for us is kind of what we refer to as like automated deployment testing orchestration or deployment automation. Um, so you can think of it similar to the MEF concept of service activation, testing orchestration. Mm -hmm. So the first step for us, you know, that's like automated orchestration of test devices and test suites, basically to ensure that a service is ready to go. So as we move forward, we want to continue building out the automation capabilities because that's really what's going to drive this. Um, Can't manually, um, without automation software, you know, think, you know, you can't, operate at hi- you can't operate at hyperscale in a data center with right. network services unless you've automated much of the deployment and auto scaling and the other things so that you're not getting alerts at two in the morning to go fix a server, you know. Now, you're me- a member of the Network Builders Program, have been for quite a while. Tell me how that benefits uh, the broader objectives that you were just describing. Yeah, well, the, one of the biggest things for us is having a vibrant ecosystem of virtualized network services. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us, working with the different VNF providers that are in the Intel Network Builders community, uh, that's been a huge benefit for us. Um, uh, we always go with partners when we talk to carriers from the different VNF providers. So mm-hmm. I think being a part of that community that's kind of pursuing very 
you know, pursuing openness and open source. Intel supporting the different open source communities. They've been a great partner for us. Um, and I think the big thing has been working with that, you know, building a vibrant ecosystem is critical to, to all of this. And being able to deploy any VNF from any vendor as part of a multi-vendor network service. And so I think Intel pushing that ideal of openness and having all these different VNF providers has been very helpful for us, just getting introductions to some of those vendors and Mm -hmm. then doing development work with them to make a deployment go faster in in one of the operators. Well, George, thank you so much for sharing the updates. It's very exciting to see the progress that Rift.io is making in the industry. One final question for you before you go. Um, Where can folks engage with Rift.io and in your team on either a POC or trial um, of your solution and learn a little bit more about the company. Sure, well, they can go to www.riftio.com um, and there's all sorts of information there. We're actually refreshing our website now, so there's all sorts of new content coming very soon. And there's places you can submit your information and, and request more information about our partner program development. Um, there's also a community, an online community, and also work through OSM as well. Joining the OSM community, I think, is a great way because we're very active with OSM. Uh, so there's a couple of different ways that folks can work with us. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for the time today. It's thank been a you pleasure. for having me. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from the SDN NFE World Congress event in The Hague. And I am so delighted to be joined by Jerry Donahoe, Director of Solutions Engineering at OpenNet. Welcome, Jerry. Hello. So, Jerry, why don't we just start off with an introduction of OpenNet and um, the focus of the company as it relates to the transformation of the network? Okay, so OpenNet has a history in uh, business support systems, uh, primarily in charging and policy control. More laterally, we've been involved with um, uh, automating uh, virtualized uh, solutions, particularly NFE, and one of our more innovative solutions is what we call Service Capsule, which basically takes our components and our partners' components, including VPC uh, components, to deliver a full end-to-end solution. You simply have to supply the uh, the RAN and uh, a revenue-generating service uh, can be up and running very quickly. Obviously, you've got history in, in the uh, communication space. Tell me about what it's been like to bring these new virtual solutions to the market and why is that encapsulation that you just talked about so critical as operators start bringing more network services online? So the the need for agility and particularly the need to find new revenue streams is is very important to operators as the uh, market for smartphones starts to plateau and um, a a hope has uh, arisen that that the um, empowerment of that um, uh, virtualization brings to the network will allow operators to to be much more dynamic, much more flexible. However, there has been um, an issue in terms of delivering business value there, and um, some of these relate to the um, emergence of standards, the difficulty onboarding. So we we believe that by combining the best of breed partners into a ready-to-go, ready-deployable package, it enables operators to get up and running uh, much faster, particularly the smaller operators. Um, you know, the big tier ones have massive resources to invest in this. The smaller mm-hmm. operators um, would be more limited, um, but perhaps don't have the necessary skill sets to, to apply these cloud-like uh, 
capabilities and, and we believe our service capsule allows them to get up and running in a much faster way. So what um, services are uh, enabled within the capsule? So at the moment, um, we're primarily looking at two. Um, one is a voice over LTE. Mm -hmm. um, and, and at least to my mind, uh, the more interesting one is, the, uh, is one for um, the Internet of Things. Um, so this allows um, an operator to deploy a, a, uh, an adjunct core um, mm -hmm. separate to their existing legacy. Um, or I infrastructure, no risk to the uh, to the existing infrastructure, but still deploy a, a dedicated core for IoT functionality, which includes all the necessary components, including the um, uh, the, the virtual um, evolved packet core, the um, the PCC components for policy and charging, the management subscriber management, and so forth. And we believe this allows them to be um, a bit more innovative, uh, take a little bit more risk without any impact on their existing um, uh, services. Um, and of course, because it's virtualized, um, you can start in a small way and, and scale if the um, uh, if the need arises. So in this in this model, they're running their traditional infrastructure to provide existing services to their client base, but providing almost a second network edge uh, for IoT applications. Yeah, and not only a second, but maybe multiple because of the um, uh, the economies um, in, inherent in being able to deploy um, an adjunct uh, virtual core. You could actually have, uh, you know, multiple separate um, adjunct networks. Maybe one for um, the agri sector, maybe another for um, smart cities, and so mm -hmm. forth. So it allows you to um, to conf uh, configure them and um, and deploy them exactly as they would be needed for that particular business case. What is the operator response been to these services? Um, well, it, this is something that's quite new, and uh, we're in a number of discussions. Um, they they clearly um, see the, the benefit, particularly the um, the low risk um, uh, impact of of deploying uh, such things. There there's still a little bit of a discussion as to um, you know can operators really um, make money in IoT? I personally believe certainly they can, um, and uh, the ability to to deliver. Um, what I call the long tail opportunities, you know, um, targeting uh, very specific use case, particularly leveraging their um, their LTE um, capability. And as LTE evolves into things like LTE category M, it becomes much more suited to these high value um, IoT use cases. So, um, somewhat a biased opinion, I will admit, but I believe that, um, that IoT is a is a is a natural fit for operators. Why do you think there is a question about uh, revenue streams associated with IoT? Is it just um, the requirements for delivery of capability versus um, benefit, or what? What does it play? Yeah, there? well, I, I think um, operators have traditionally looked at um, mass market type rollouts. So when they're deploying new services, they need hundreds of thousands, typically, of subscribers, and in um, in many IoT use cases, you're, you're literally talking hundreds or, or or maybe a few thousand. So um, can they monetize that? Certainly using virtualization, they can. The other, I, I suppose, is, uh, is, is somewhat of a bias towards the um, traditional M to N market, where the um, the uh, return, the the average revenue per per user on on things like smart meters and so uh, so forth was quite quite small. But by utilizing um, LTE and high bandwidth capabilities for things like smart city applications, the um, the value of the individual use cases can be much higher than what have been traditionally thought about for things like M to M smart meters and so forth. What is the role of the move to automation for for delivery of these services within the financial construct? Well, automation is, is very important because um, 
uh, as I said earlier, the idea would be to perhaps start small and, and scale um, if the service is, uh, is successful in the market. And um, the, uh, one of the main advantages of our service capsule is the, um, is the ability using a, um, analytics and elastic scalability to, um, to match the deployment um, uh, to the particular need. And not only the particular need, uh, but the particular need at that time, the, mm -hmm. um, the concept of elastic scalability. So you know, if um, if the uh, opportunity peaks, um, it can handle that. But also, if it contracts, um, the the uh, resources can be simply spun down again, and um, and reused for other purposes. No, OpenNet is a member of the Intel Network Builders Program, and and I know that you guys have done work to optimize your solutions for Intel architecture. Can you tell me a little bit about why that's valuable to uh, the delivery of solutions in the marketplace? Absolutely. Well, of course, um, um, for an evolved packet core, which works in the, uh, uh, the, the data plane, um, uh, performance is, 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 is vital and things like DBTK uh, to allow the op optimization of, um, of virtualized solutions to carry um, significant data um, in a performant way is very important. But also just the um, organizational um, aspects of the Intel net Network Builder. All the partners we work with are also members, mm -hmm. and Intel has been very um, uh, helpful to us in terms of uh, helping us do POCs and providing technical assistance and, um, and indeed a number of white papers. Um, and uh, our service capsule actually be, will be featured in an up and coming Intel white paper um, for, for voice over LTE. Fantastic. Jerry, I'm sure that we've um, piqued some folks' interest in the solutions that you're talking about today. Where can folks find out more information about what OpenNet is offering to uh, the provider industry? Well, I think the best place would be to go to our website, opennet.com, and um, if they need any additional information, um, they may contact us at uh, info at opennet.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.